This morning, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at them. So take them out. And this morning, we're going to do something a little different anyway. We're going to go away from the book of Luke. I know we've been in Luke a long time, and we're going to be there a long time, because it's a great book. But this morning, I want you to turn to the Old Testament. And we're going to look at a few verses in the book of Daniel. If you have your Bible, turn to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, and in just a moment, we're going to read a few verses there. Of course, this week I've been in Spain, and I told you a little bit about that trip earlier, but this week I get to spend a lot of time with our missionaries who serve in hard places. They all work in a Muslim context, which means that they live in a place where people don't believe in the same God that we believe in. Of course, that's why they're there. They're there to tell people about Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean that it's easy. That doesn't mean that it's not hard. That doesn't mean they don't live in isolation. It doesn't mean that they don't face persecution, because they do. But I'm thankful for their faithfulness. The gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for that. But also, while I was there this week, I got an email from one of our other missionaries who serves in China, who we partner with there. And I know we've been praying a lot for China and what's going on in China, but on Tuesday or Wednesday last week, I got an email about what happened last Sunday. And last Sunday, in the place we work, another church was raided. And what that means is a group of believers, just like us, were meeting on a Sunday morning. And police and government officials barged through the door. And they arrested the leaders, and then they confiscated all the cell phones, and they cloned their cell phones so they would have their contacts, so they would know others as part of the church. And they told them they can't meet again. As of Tuesday or Wednesday, anyway, of last week, the leaders of the church were still in jail. Now I know as Christians in America, I know as the church in America, for all of our lives we've been shielded from things such as that. But I want you to hear me. I don't say this to scare you. I just say this because it is truth. The church in America is about to experience persecution. Just like the church in North Africa, just like the church in China, just like the church in Indonesia, just like the church in the Middle East, just like the church in other parts of the world, we're going to experience the same things they experience. How do I know? Because the Bible tells me. That's how I know. And why we think that we're not going to experience what the Bible says we're going to experience, I don't understand. But I'm telling you, we are. And I know it not just because the Bible tells me, because it's being telegraphed for our very eyes. If you will just open your eyes and look. I got home late Friday night, and so yesterday... 
I was reading, kind of catching up on some of the news stories of the week while I was gone. One of the stories I read, I read about a presidential debate that happened last week. It was held by CNN, televised by CNN, and it was CNN's town hall on equality. And all the leading presidential candidates for the Democratic Party were there. And they talked and they were asked questions. And I want to read you what one of them said. He's a former congressman from Texas. And he's running for the president of the United States, not from a third party fringe party, but from one of the mainstream parties, one of the two mainstream parties of the United States of America. His name is Beto O'Rourke. And he's written a document. And Don Lemon, who was the moderator of the debate, asked him a question about that document. The document is about his plan for the LGBTQ community. And I just want you to hear what he says. So I'm going to read it from the article so that I don't mess it up. It's exactly what is stated. And so Lemon made the statement. He said, Mr. O'Rourke, this is from your plan. And this is what you wrote. So this is what Congressman O'Rourke wrote. He said, freedom of religion is fundamental. But it should not be used to discriminate. Lemon then asked this question. Do you think that religious institutions like colleges, churches, charities should lose their tax-exempt status if they oppose same-sex marriage? And without skipping a beat or drawing a breath, O'Rourke said yes, and after the yes, there was momentous applause from the audience. And then O'Rourke said, he said there can be no reward, no benefit, no tax break for anyone or any institution or any organization in America that denies full human rights and civil liberties of every single one of us. So as president, listen to this statement. So as president, we are going to make that a priority and we are going to stop those who are infringing upon human rights of our fellow Americans. Did you catch that? We are going to stop them. Okay. 24 hours later, press gave him a chance to back out of what he said in another interview they asked him does he stand by what he says and this is what he says he says i don't want to remove tax exempt status for religious institutions and for churches merely for their beliefs but he would however deny tax exemption for discriminatory actions so here's what he's saying He's saying, you can believe what you want to believe, believe whatever he wants you to believe. But if you speak of that belief, or if you act upon that belief, I will stop you. That's what he said. And I know you're thinking, oh, well, he ain't got a prayer of winning the presidency. And I understand he does not have a prayer of winning the presidency. I understand that. But Cory Booker, a sitting senator right now from New Jersey, a senator of the United States of America, agreed with everything he said, every word. He said it out of his mouth. I agree with that. Now, I could say a whole lot about this, a whole lot. But let me just state the obvious so you know exactly what he's saying and exactly what they are proposing to do. And nobody in the Democratic Party on that stage said the other. 
likewise. They all agreed. So this former congressman running for president of the United States is saying that if you don't believe the way I believe and think the way I think you should think or the way government thinks you should think, then we are going to force you to believe that way. That's what he's saying. And it started with, you will lose your tax-exempt status. So what that means for you and me, for a church, a biblical church, who believes in the biblical traditional view of marriage because that's what the Word of God teaches, and we will not conform, and we will not compromise. Do you hear me? We will not conform and we will not compromise on the word of God. No matter what happens to us, we will not. I will not. Okay? But what he is saying is if you don't hold the views he holds and you hold a biblical view, a biblical worldview, then you will lose your tax exempt status. So what that means, that if you give money to a biblical church like this, who withholds the Bible is the word of God, the inerrant word of God, and our foundation... And the truth that we live our life upon. And the only truth in this world, by the way. If you don't conform, then if you give money to this church, you cannot write it off on your taxes. That's where it starts. Now, you can give money to the United Way and write it off all day. But you can't give it to a biblical church and write it off on your taxes. But if you believe it's going to stop there, then you need to open your eyes. Because you don't understand the hostility toward Christians in the United States of America in this day. Because what he's saying with his very own words, based on your actions, if you don't allow same-sex marriages in your church, or as a pastor, if I don't perform same-sex marriages, guess what that is? That's an action. Then you are discriminatory and you are committing a hate crime. And what do you think is going to be next? Do you think it's just losing a tax-exempt status? Of course not. They'll do the same thing in America that they're doing in China this very day, walking into churches and arresting leaders and confiscating your cell phones to see who believes like you believe. And if you don't think that, then you need to open your eyes. Because that's what is about to happen. But listen to me. I am thankful for that. I'm thankful. Because the secularization of America is complete. It is complete. But that is a good thing. Because finally, finally, there will be a distinction between true followers of Jesus Christ and those who claim Jesus just for convenience. There will be a distinction. Because those who truly believe in Jesus Christ will stand and will not bow and will not conform those who just believe him for convenience will go along with the rest of the world. Because that's the way it's always been. And that's the way it will always be. In the very near future, anyone in America who makes the biblical statement that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is the only way to heaven, anyone who makes that statement and stands by that truth of the word of God will be persecuted. Why? Because they'll say, well, you can't tell me that's it. I believe in my God. And my God says I go to heaven this way. You can't say that. Well, according to the word of God, I can say that because that is truth. It is truth. And so you have a choice to make. You can either obey earthly kings and political parties and Congress, or you can obey the King of King and the Lord of Lords. That's your choice. But let me tell you the ramifications of that choice. 
Jesus Christ himself says in Matthew 10. That if you deny me before man. Then I will deny you before my heavenly father. Those are his words not mine. So you have a choice to make. Who will you obey? This morning, I want to look at a story in the book of Daniel that is a story that parallels our own. Because we're going to read a story about four young men, teenagers in fact, probably around the age of 15, who were taken from their home in Jerusalem. They're kidnapped, they're taken hostage. And they're taken thousands of miles away to Babylon. And they live in a pagan culture, just like our own. So this morning, I want you to see the fate of these four. Just so you know where the book of Daniel takes place in the Bible. Daniel lives about 400 years after King David. And about 600 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. So he's right in the middle, basically. Between King David and between Jesus. When the book opens, Daniel is around the age of 15. When the book closes, when it ends, he's lived all the way to the age of 90, somewhere closer to 100. So all of his life, he's lived in a culture that does not believe in his God. Okay, but let's learn a lesson today. So we look in Daniel 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. This is what the Bible says. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only the strong, the healthy, the good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning. They're gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and they are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchen. They were to be trained for three years. Then they would enter the royal service. Verse 6. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of these young men chosen. And all of them from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. This morning, even though these four young men were just teenagers, I want you to see just how much you can learn from a teenager. Who loves God. First thing I want you to see. Just three truths. The first one is this. These four young men. These four young men lived as aliens in a foreign land. I told you. 
that Daniel's situation parallels our own because his entire life from the age of 15 to the age of nine or even past, he was a believing minority in God in a world of a pagan culture. And when I say a believing minority, I mean a minutia of a minority. No one in Babylon, except for these other three, believed in the God of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No one did. Now, I know in America, we think there are still a lot of followers of Jesus Christ. And there are some. But do not believe the statistics that tell us how many Christians live in the United States of America. Because many of them just follow Jesus Christ out of convenience. How do you know those who are truly followers of Jesus Christ and those who are not? Jesus says you will know them by their fruit. What's he talking about? He's talking about Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Holy Spirit of God. Because if you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's how your salvation is secure. And the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. And if the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, guess what? You're going to bear fruit. And what fruit is it going to be? The fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if you don't see someone bearing that fruit, then they are not followers of Jesus Christ. They're not. So there are many in our day who will have Jesus on their lips, but will not know him in their heart. So just like Daniel, we live as the vast minority in a world that does not believe. But also just like Daniel, Daniel's God is our God too. And listen to me, God is still on his throne. He is still in charge. He always has been and he always will be. He is in charge of nations. He is in charge of families. He's in charge of individuals. He's in charge of the past, the present. He's in charge of the future. He's in charge of the good times and he is in charge of the bad. He is in charge of life and he is in charge of death. And it was true in Daniel's day, just as it is true in our day. Now, when we start reading the book of Daniel, it looks like God has been defeated. It looks like evil has overcome good. But looks can be deceiving. Because listen to verse 2. It says there that the Lord God gave him, who? Nebuchadnezzar gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. What happened in Jerusalem was no accident. And I'm sure CNN said the next day that Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, overtakes Jerusalem, the house of God. But listen, the reason Nebuchadnezzar overtook the house of God is because God gave it to him. And God gave it to him for his purposes so that his will will be accomplished. God has always used suffering and he's always used persecution to fulfill his will. And guess what? He always will. Just like Daniel, we are living as aliens in a foreign land. How do I know? Because the word of God says it. Listen to what 2 Peter 2 says. Peter says this in verse 11. He says, dear friends, I warn you as aliens, as foreigners, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. 
Hebrews 13, 14 says, this world is not our home. We are looking for a home yet to come. Talking about heaven. I know that it is easy to feel overwhelmed. I know when the world presses in and the world is hard and when the world hates you, I understand that it is easy to shrink back. But listen to the prayer of Jesus in John 17. Jesus prays to God the Father, and this is what he says. He says, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. God has willed that you and me, his children, should live in a world of evil. Why? So that that evil world can hear that there is only one way, and that way is Jesus Christ, and that he is the name above every name, and that one day every knee will bow, and tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is what he has willed for us to do. Just like he willed it for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thousands and thousands of years ago. They lived in a foreign land. But these four young men, these teenagers also lived with faith. They lived with faith. Now what set these four apart? Have you ever wondered in the book of Daniel why we don't know anyone else's name that was brought captives from Jerusalem all the way to Babylon? There were many that were taken captive and taken hostage and brought to Babylon, but yet we only know four. Why do we only know four? Because of their faith. Because of their faith. And how do we know our faith? If you keep on reading, what set these four apart is when the world, when the king seduced them the bible says they determined in their heart that they would not defile themselves they wouldn't do it what does that mean it means they would not disobey god that's what it means so here's what it was like the king brings them into the palace and he says look guys i'm the king i'm the most powerful guy in the world i got more money than anybody on earth and in our day what would we want to be we'd want to be like that king right isn't that what the world does? Doesn't it try to seduce us? Don't we look to those who we think are popular, those who are great athletes, and they say, oh, I want to wear the shoes that they wear. I want to wear the clothes that they wear. Oh, I want to drive the car they drive. Why? Because the world seduces us. But these four said no. They determined in their heart, we will not defile ourselves. We will obey God even if it costs us. Even if the world thinks we're crazy. Even if they don't understand us. Even if they call us names. Even if they persecute us. We will not bow. Listen, that's a determination we must make in our day. Because in our day, the church is compromising. And the church is compromising on this word. And we say things like, well, we don't need to be as harsh in our statements as the Bible, so maybe we can soften them. And maybe rather than saying that Jesus is the only way to heaven, maybe we can say Jesus is a way to heaven, or that Jesus is the best way to heaven, or that Jesus is this, or Jesus is that. Well, that's not what the Bible says. And when we compromise on the Word of God, guess what the world does? They compromise on it too. And they don't believe the truth of Scripture. Because we don't believe the truth of Scripture or stand upon it. This is truth. And it is the only truth in this world. And there is no other. No matter if you like it or not. It doesn't matter what you like. It only matters what God says. 
And it is a truth we must stand. Because if not, the world will never know. And these four boys stood in faith. Did it cost them? You better believe it. Go on and read the rest of the story. In Daniel chapter 3, we see three young men, not Daniel, but we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're still teenagers at this point. But in Daniel chapter 3, this king, the most powerful man in the world, decides he wants to unite his kingdom. And the way he's going to unite his kingdom is he's going to bring them to worship. And he's going to bring them to worship one God. And guess who the God is? Himself. So he builds a statue, a gold statue, that is 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. It is as big as a building. And the Bible says he sets it up on the plains of Dura, just outside the capital of Babylon. And he makes this decree, all the leaders of my kingdom, all the judges, all the prefects, all the governors, everyone who is a leader in my kingdom, you're going to come on a particular day and you're going to come to the plains of Dura. And when you hear the musical instruments, the harp, the flute, the lyre, whatever it is, you're going to bow down and worship one God, my God. He's doing it to unite his kingdom. So on the particular day, all of the rulers, all of the leaders come to the plains of Dior. There would have been thousands. Some commentators say maybe a hundred thousand. That's how wide King Nebuchadnezzar's reach was. But all these leaders come, and guess who else is there? Three leaders, leaders in training, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these leaders come, and they see the statue, and the musical instruments start to play, and they all bow down, except three. So the Bible says some astrologers, the advisors of king, go to him and say, hey, King Nebuchadnezzar, you know your decree, your command? Well, there were three who didn't obey. So the Bible says that King Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage. He got mad. And he called the three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to come before him. And he said to these three young men, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you will not bow down to my God or worship the idols I have set up? He said, I'm going to give you one more chance. When you hear the musical instruments play, you bow down. Let me ask you a question. What would you have done? Oh, by the way, he also said, if you don't, I'm going to throw you into the fire. The reason the gold statue was set up on the plains of Dura is because there was a furnace set up on the plains of Dura. It's where they made weapons for war. The furnace that he threatened to throw these three boys into, was hot enough to melt metal so that they could build instruments of war. Weapons. And he set the statue beside the furnace because he said, this is what's going to happen if you don't do this. So what would you have done? What would you have said? Many in our day are saying things like this. Well, in Babylon, you do what Babylonians do. We can just pretend to bow down, but we're truly not bowing down in our heart. We're really standing up in our heart. They say things, oh, this country, this king has been so good to us. It would be disrespectful not to do it. Well, everybody else is bowing down. We should do it too. If we don't, it won't be good for us. So here's our problem with this story. We know the end of the story. But listen, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't know the end of the story when they're standing before King Nebuchadnezzar. No angel came to them and said, hey guys, if you just fall into the fire, he'll protect you. They didn't know that. They didn't get a word from God saying, I will be with you in the fire. They didn't get that. They stand and they say to this king, oh Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you this day because the God whom we serve is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, rest assured of this, we will never bow down to your idols or worship the gold statue you have set up. Now they had biblical faith. There's a difference between faith and biblical faith. Now, faith is to stand and say, God is able. Oh, God can do whatever He wants to do. He parted the Red Sea. He did this. He did that. He can raise the dead. Yeah, we all know God is able. We can read the Bible. That's not faith. Faith is to say, God is able. But even if He chooses to kill me, I will still never bow. That's faith. That's faith. And that's what they said. The Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar was so mad that his face was distorted with anger. So he ordered these three to be thrown into the fire. But before they're thrown into the fire, he says, heat it up seven times hotter than normal. And then he has them bound. But not only bound, he has them dressed. He puts turbans on their heads. He puts robes on their bodies. Why? Turning them into human torches, that's why. And he orders men, three strong men, to take them to the fire and throw them in. But when those three strong men take them to the fire, guess what happens to the strong men? They're burned up. Outside of the fire, it's so hot. And the three are thrown in. But as they're thrown in, they're not alone. Because listen to me, the Bible never says that he will keep you from the fire. The Bible only says when you're in the fire, he will join you there. I promise that I will never leave you nor forsake you. When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you walk through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you're in the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And they were not alone. Because he was in the fire. Because Nebuchadnezzar looks in. And the Bible says he looks in to see the three, but he says, hey, didn't we throw three in? I see four in there, and one of them looks like the son of the gods. Well, it wasn't the son of the gods, it was the son of God. That's who it was. It was Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate, in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the chains, the bonds which bound them were gone. The Septuagint says, the Greek version of the Old Testament says they were in the fire singing. Nebuchadnezzar can't believe what he's seeing. And he says, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out of there. So they come out. And the Bible says that not a hair on their head is singed, and they don't even smell of smoke. They don't even smell of smoke. And so Nebuchadnezzar makes this proclamation. He says, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than to serve or worship any god except their own. Nebuchadnezzar worshipped the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's why we're persecuted. 
That's why we suffer. So the name of Jesus Christ can be lifted on high and so people will fall to their face and worship Him. That's why. That's God's purpose. And that was God's purpose for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And guess what? That's God's purpose for you and me living thousands of years later. Because that's what Jesus said. He says if they hated you or hated me, they'll hate you. He said, I'm sending you out into this world as sheep among wolves. Guess what? That ain't good for the sheep. But he also promises never to leave us alone. Because Jesus Christ joined us in our suffering. He joined us. And guess what happened when he suffered? God was worshipped. Go read the story of the crucifixion. After Jesus Christ died, after they pierced his side, after he bowed his head and gave his spirit up to God, guess what a Roman centurion who scourged him, who nailed him to the cross, guess what he said? Surely that is the Son of God. When we suffer, and when we suffer with faith, God is glorified. week when I was in Spain I spent time with one of our missionaries and I didn't know him I'd never met him before it's the first time he'd ever been to the retreat he's originally from Great Britain but he came to the states later and married a young girl here and now they serve in North Africa I was eating lunch with him one day and he told me his story when he was around the age of 20, 21, 22, somewhere in there, he was in South Africa serving, ministering. And he was on the street, and a young man who was being initiated into a gang came up with a 9mm and stuck it to his face and shot him. Three times. One of the bullets went right through one eye socket and out the other. Two others went into his chest. He said, John, I was laying on the ground thinking that I was about to die and that I was about to see Jesus. But he didn't die. Now today he only has one eye. One got blown right out of his head. He still struggles from being shot in the chest. But he said this. He said, John... It amazes me that I was counted worthy to suffer for Jesus Christ. And today, I get to use that suffering and I get to go tell my story. And every day, people are saved because of what God did through me. That's faith. To see the good and the bad. To understand the purposes of God. And that He is in control. And that He has called us to never shrink back in shame. I don't tell you this this morning to scare you. I don't bring you this message to send you home in fear. The opposite is true. Because this is what Jesus says. In John 16, 33, he says, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, 
for I have overcome the world. Yes, we'll have trouble in this world. But does it matter? No. Why? Because we can have peace in Jesus Christ because He has overcome. And He will continue to overcome. And we can stand in confidence and say that Jesus Christ is our Lord and He is the only way to heaven. And we can stand on His Word and we can never compromise because He's worthy. And He's worthy of it all. And He's worthy of our faith. And He's worthy of our lives. And He's worthy of everything that we are and everything that we have. He is worthy. Because He is Lord. I hope this morning you understand that. I hope you have reconciled that truth in your heart. But if not, you need to. Because the hour is getting late. And the time is drawing near where God is looking. He is searching for men and women who have the faith of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. He's looking for that faith. He's looking to you. So determine in your heart not to defile yourself, but obey the only one who is worthy. Bow with me, Lord. We love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your name. We thank you for choosing us. Even if it means you chose us to suffer. Lord, I pray this morning for your spirit to be in this place. I pray that you would strengthen our faith. I pray that you would fill us with peace in the midst of what's to come. I pray that you would restore the joy of our salvation so that we can be different. So that people will see you when they see us. Lord, this morning we just give you ourselves because it's all we got. So Lord, take us. Make us what you want us to be. Do it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning as we close, this is all I'm going to ask you to do. I'm just going to ask you to pray. And I'm not going to ask you to pray for our nation. Because that's not what needs prayer. can ask you to pray for your own heart. Because that's what needs to be changed. 
pray that the Holy Spirit of God would speak deep into your soul His truth and His testimony. And pray that you would walk out of this place never the same. A people who will not fear A people who will not shrink back in shame, but will stand boldly on the Word of God and proclaim it because faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word. That's what the Bible says. I pray that. I pray it for you. So here's what's going to happen. Todd and Amy are going to sing. I'm just going to ask you right now to stand to your feet. And as you stand, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And this morning, if you want to come to this altar and pray, come to this altar and pray. This morning, if you want to stay where you are and pray, stay where you are and pray. But just pray. And pray. Don't just whisper a few words. Pray. Meet with the God of this world. He was given His life to save you. To rescue you from eternal fire. Pray to Him. Let your life be changed. Pray as Todd and Amy sing.